Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome to your Friday edition of the OBR Film Breakdown Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Burns. Hopefully you have had a nice week and a relaxing bye week and you have not yelled at too many people and we can all take a break and unwind from the from the juggle situation, I don't know, jigsaw puzzle, I guess is the way to put it, of deciphering where the Cleveland Browns are and why they're 6-6 six and six and where they go from here. It's It's been crazy. Uh, I would urge you to check out a couple pieces that I did earlier this week if you have the time. Uh, I did a piece on the Browns' blame can go around on Monday. I also did a piece on Tuesday. Sorry, actually it released on Wednesday about plays being left on the field due to execution and how that would change the stat line and move around maybe your opinion of the play caller who seems to be catching a lot of unnecessary blame in Kevin Stefanski. And um, also did a draft, sorry, we did our Tuesday Twitch Chalk Talk, which is readily available for you to go back and watch. We did running game study, offensive line study, kind of hybrid in one, looking at how they were shut down by Baltimore. And then we did Baker Mayfield's film room, and then we did... The defense with John Stephenson, which I feel like I've kind of let myself down because all the study of figuring out the offense can't figure out you know the time I need to go back and watch, which was an awesome defensive performance against Baltimore and Lamar Jackson, which is sadly being overlooked. And that is there. And then we did a draft show on the Twitch tonight where we started to look ahead at the Browns' first five picks, very laid-back nature, no trades, just what do they need to do, who do they need to get, or what kind of players can help them get better, and the positions that we target as well. So that is also available for you to consume if you should so choose. As we do with all of these Fridays, we welcome in a good friend of mine, our Friday usual guest, John Colosimo. John, how are you? Doing good, Jake. Uh, it's been a good couple of days. I've gotten sleep. My my kids have allowed me to sleep more in the last two days than the last two weeks combined. Uh, so I'm a happy guy right now. It helps. Sleep helps everything. <laughs> it helps everything, man. Um, well, we have to talk about a couple clarification things. So, you know, the the wildly circulating thing, John, was that my piece, which did really well, um, uh, and and you know, we have two factions here: people who love Baker Mayfield and defend him like they're the child of their or their family member or whatever. Um, or, you know, Baker's going to let you into the pearly gates of heaven someday. And then there's another faction who takes, there is a group that takes joy in his struggle and that he's not good enough and so on and so forth. I do try to stay in the middle of that as best I can while also presenting my opinion. Um, so, you know, John, well, that my opinion is that he is, uh, he has plenty of skill at the NFL level to do a lot of things. Well, he's, inconsistent that inconsistency is is right now the downfall of his NFL career we'll see if he's able to overcome the inconsistency uh, but it has led me to believe that it is less than a lock that he gets a second contract in Cleveland doesn't mean he doesn't doesn't mean it's not 90 percent but I think we all presumed it was a stone cold lock and we are a little less than that now 
Uh, I think his ceiling has changed for me when he went through 2018 and he's gone through portions of his career. He had a really good stretch in the end of, you know, the middle to end of 2021. I thought his ceiling was going to be far higher than what it is. And again, this is just my opinion. People can have a different opinion. That's fine. Uh, I don't have that. I think his ceiling is roughly somewhere at Kirk Cousins or a little better. Um, and that is the question. What is, and that's not to say that the, that's going to be a different quarterback next year or in 2023 or whatever. I don't know. Those decisions are still to be made. We'll see if he can rebound. We'll see if he can prove his worth. We'll see if the Browns think that there is a better option out there. I do not know, but that is my general stance. And I wrote that piece uh, the other day because my thing this week, John, has been that I think the, the play caller, Kevin Stefanski, has been unnecessarily blamed for inadequate performance. And I wrote the piece on Baker Mayfield, which sparked a lot of debate. It wasn't, sorry, I said it was on Baker Mayfield. That's, that's partly because that's what people have been led to believe. It was about everybody. It was about drops, poor line play, and pass game execution that is mired by some struggles from Mayfield. Plenty of struggles. Um, it was not directed at one player. It was directed at the team's struggle, but everybody got mad that it was a Baker Mayfield hit piece. And then Kurt Warner throws out his little film room that he does. And Kurt Warner's an NFL legend. And cool but people tried to pit my opinion of that piece like i wrote a hit piece on baker and (laughs) kurt warner puts out one tweet and breaks down just a half of the game and everybody's using that as a means to say well kurt warner believes in him when if you follow up and look at what kurt warner said he actually said he's not a great drop back passer right now by any stretch and he also said to people in follow-up answers he's good He's not good. He's not bad. He's somewhere in between. Well, we know that. And you justifying a couple plays is not the means to do so. Like the bootleg play where I said, hey, Donovan Peoples-Jones dropped it. Pretty clear that was his first, you know, that was the read that they tagged for him to go to. That's fine. A couple tight ends wide open with no one within 10 yards of him, 15 yards of him. Would like to maybe think that we could find a way to get there on some place too. And here are schemed up answers that are being missed. Whatever. People just all over the board looking for anything to be mad at. So, John, like, I lead off the pod talking the first six minutes, which is gross. I'm just saying, like, (laughs) this is getting terrible. People are logging on every day looking for something, anything to grab a hold of and say you're wrong or you're right about Baker. I'm right. You're wrong about Baker Mayfield, whatever side you're on. And I don't see in the last five games of the year and month and some change of football, how that is going to get better. And I think any little bit somebody can grab from someone else, they're going to use it. And they do that with my stuff too, which is, again, I look at the whole picture. I don't do little snippets. They grab everything and use it for their opinion or, Hey, Jake's an idiot or whatever. It's crazy. I didn't argue with, with some guy for, for, for like 30 minutes today on, on that boot play where I said it was a predetermined throw. So obviously it's his first read, but on normal boot throws, it's pretty clear that the high, the, the read is if you have someone in your face, you have a flip off little dump off throw that you can take advantage of. You can't be late to the flat. You can never do that. He's going to run the, you run him out of bounds. But I said it was clearly a predetermined throw. Then Kurt Warner says it in a different way. And people are like, ah, see, look at, you're an idiot. Told Jake Burns that. Okay, cool, man. Just, I don't know. I just, I'm, I, you're watching it. You're not arguing with it. I'm not arguing with many people, but there are some who just, they're just, their Twitter handles are always like, never back down from Baker or Baker six till I die or 
always going to be six or Baker ride till I, it's just like, what are you, what are we doing here anymore, man? You know? Yeah. I mean, anything with this and, you know, I deal with it. Um, whether you're running into somebody at work, whether you're, you know, uh, talking to your family and stuff like that, you, everybody's looking for, uh, you know, a single point to point their frustrations at, uh, to blame things on. And, you know, the, the reality is that, that football is a complicated enough game that uh, sometimes those, the answers and, uh, you know, most of the time those answers are just not that simple. And, you know, sometimes there's nothing to be learned on a single game. Sometimes there's no conclusions that you can draw uh, when you get this far into a season where so many things have not gone your way. Um, and sometimes it's just like, you just got to wait, you just got to wait. And, you know, you know, when it comes to Baker, I mean, what you see is what you get. And there's just not going to be, if if you're expecting some kind of a a, a different thing this year, you're just not going to see it. I mean, if you, if you're looking for some kind of an answer with regards to Baker and his long-term future, you're not going to find it till next year, you know, so you can watch every week and, you know, you can, um, you can try and, and build this case file for yourself, uh, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, to the positive, to the negative. <clears throat> you can do that if you want. But but in reality, you're just not going to find out anything really new. You're not going to find out whether, you know, or how much injuries played into things, you know, you know <clears throat> how much uh, some of the things deteriorated on the offensive side, how much Odell – um, and that situation affected things until a whole new season comes. And and you're just going to have to kind of ride it. And I know the NFL is a week-to-week business. You know, everybody wants to draw new conclusions every week. You know, it's small sample size stuff. And at this point, you know, I don't know what you're going to do. And I, I understand what you're saying, that there's a whole lot of uh, anger and frustration um, at the play calling when those kinds of criticisms actually belong somewhere else. And even if you wanted to, like, I'm not going to hear any kind of, you know, real heavy, crazy criticism of Kevin Stefanski. But if you did want to criticize, criticize him, you know, you could, you could take an angle for that. And it would probably be on the discipline of the team in terms of penalties. It would probably be, you know, being able to regroup this team and handle the personality and those types of things. You could make legitimate criticisms about how Kevin Spansky has handled this year if you wanted to. Um, you know, it's it's one of those weird things where, and I, and I found myself in this position on a lot of different topics. I mean, like non-football, you know, completely different topics where, you know, you might uh, you might agree with somebody's conclusion or something, but they are making all the wrong points <laughs> toward that. You know what I mean? And it's like if you if you wanted to criticize Kevin Stefanski, there would be legitimate ways to do it, not to the point where, you know, you should fire him or anything like that. But uh, I I could not be more solid in the fact that if you, if play calling is what you're calling, if is what you're focused on, uh, get your head on straight, man. That's just not that's just not where you should really be criticizing this coach and. All it takes is somebody that that watches the film on a regular basis, and they would never say that. They just wouldn't. Just wouldn't say that. So it's such a simple, objective truth to me 
that it's kind of bonkers to like hear that consistently be the mantra, you know, give up the play calling. It's the play calling. It's not the play calling guys. It's not the play calling. It really isn't. You can point to a lot of other different things. You can, you know, if you chose to, you could make a cogent argument that Kevin hasn't done a good job in certain areas. I'm not going to make it for you, but it's not play calling. So yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty frustrating. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Yeah, it's like when th- it's so results driven, you know, when Nick yes, Chubb makes correct. somebody miss in the backfield and then goes 75 yards, if he gets tackled in the backfield or not, your issue should be that somebody was free and untouched in the backfield. They don't nobody does nobody does that. You just want to talk about the results of the play. If the quarterback misses a corner route, he overthrows the tight end, Nobody wants to talk about that at the end of the game. We'd rather talk about, well, the play calling's broke or teams have figured them out. Well, no, that's why I had to write it this week. Nobody is giving the, the looking at the plays they're missing. And I'm not, I was very easy on this, John. Like, I don't, I'm, I don't know if you had time to read it or not, but like just simple plays. Like if Jarvis Landry catches the sailed interception against the Lions and just gets shot and falls down, here's 20 yards that should have been made. Not 30 yards on Yak and all that stuff. Very right. simple. And it was 100 <laughs> yards per game. And I'm looking specifically at the passing game only. When I broke down the run game with Kyle Kyle Murphy, who's infinitely smarter than I am about offensive line play, the running backs didn't do themselves any favor in this game. Three plays, they just didn't go the right direction in terms of a cut that needed to be made, but they normally make. 
and then you have run game success. So, oh, I, I think he earned that uh, PFF grade. This oh, is uh, he did. This it was, was his worst game yeah. as a pro. It was Nick's Correct. worst game, and I, you know, Kareem's first game back, so I totally understand it. But it's like they didn't play well there, but nobody will ever say anything. It's just, it's just the weirdest thing. And then, like me personally, what's driven me to make my Twitter account private is large part because I don't want my employer to just see what I'm tweeting all the time. Whatever, you know, whatever. I just sure some I privacy in my life is fine. But also to eliminate some of the unnecessary drivel that makes its way in, where like I'll tweet something that's driven by years of football experience, years of being around the game, infinite studying the game. I mean, I couldn't even quantify the number of hours in my puny life that i've spent in and around football that is just it's silly it's actually it would be painful to look at all the hours i've lost to this stuff it's and, like when you have a video game where they log yes, the hours you yes, never want to look at that n- never ever look n- at that n- never look at but then i will make an, an an assertion about a play or a player that bootleg play is a perfect thing and i didn't even say in that play that baker did the wrong thing all i did was say Hey man, they ran the scheme, should have been caught, but also look at the scheme and what it's producing in players open. I don't care if they call, if, if you're at any level, a coach will say, hey man, and you could be on the sideline getting a play from the from the coach yourself as a quarterback. You could get a play relayed from a guy running off the sideline who comes into the huddle to give you the play. They'll tag routes. They'll say, hey, check out the backside post in this concept, right? Or check out this, they'll, they'll, teams will alert it. It doesn't mean you have to. You're not being held to gunpoint to throw that. If you get out on boot and there's nobody around the tight ends, it's okay to throw that. No one's going to be mad at you for gaining 50 yards on a touchdown. So my point was, look at the scheme, and then everyone's mad at me. And it's like, hey, man, I've got a lot of experience, and this is for every point that I make. And this is not an, an arrogant thing whatsoever. I don't view it this way. I'll make a point, which is rooted in a ton of football philosophy, study, practice, play, whatever, Somebody will say, hey, you're wrong, who clearly doesn't do the things that I do. And then I'll say, hey, man, I'm going to support my opinion by saying, no, I'm not wrong. I believe I'm right because this is this is what I do. I do it. I don't go to your doctor's office and say, hey, man, I got a herniated disc. I don't care what you tell me. It's a herniated disc. <laughs> that, I'm not going to just say, oh, you know what? You're right. Like, no, I believe what I'm saying is right. If somebody proves me wrong, I have said to them before, yeah, I was wrong. But, but what's going on is is then I will say, hey, I actually think that I'm right. Here's why I'm right. And then they'll be like, well, why are you getting so sensitive when someone disagrees with you? What are you talking about? All I'm doing is standing up for what I'm saying. And if that offends you that I don't want to sit here and tell you random person that you're right, what what, what are we doing here? I'm not I, like, what are, we, what are we doing? So it's just the weirdest thing. And it, it's like a microcosm of all of this right now. Where you know you, they act like I'm sensitive, or, or why are you being so rude? What what, what did I say that was rude to you? I didn't say anything. <laughs> All I did was just ba- I just believed that my opinion, which is rooted in a ton of effort, work, and study in the industry, to do what I'm doing and get where I am. Like, not anyone can do this. I mean, you you could, but there's like, you you do have to have some sort of like skill to kind of be okay at doing this stuff and there are a lot of great people that do it but i'm just saying like i didn't just this didn't just happen for no reason i guess is my point so it gets really weird to me when people come like they just want to come at me and then play the victim it's the strangest thing and i'm all i did was back up my opinion with what i believe and i'm just supposed to like oh you know what you're right joey b two six 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 four three three like what 
<laughs> I don't know. It's just a personal gripe that is gone. Maybe it's magnified. I don't remember it being this bad. It's probably a fan base that is is crippled by the weight of expectations this year, and a bunch of people who yeah. want to believe their quarterback is not the person that you know is the person they thought he would be, and I'm not of the belief of the same opinion they have on things, and it's turning nasty, which is the microcosm well, of the times, John. I tell you, Jake, like that you you hit the nail on the head right there uh, on the drive by there with the expectations, expectations. Anywhere you place those in your life directly and uh, and heavily affect your reactions to similar situations. You know, you could you could go through uh, a certain day of your life uh, with a certain expectation in your mind. And based on that expectation, you could have the very same experience and have drastically different reactions to it. And. Um, I think I've, I've ran into that a thousand times in a thousand different ways uh, throughout my lifetime. And um, that's really what this comes down to. Uh, there was expectations on this team. And for once, they were they were warranted. They were backed up by Vegas. And, you know, you can say whatever you want about the Browns having high expectations all these other times. Oh, maybe they had this, you know, they had, after, um, what, 2010, whatever, they had six primetime games, whatever. Vegas didn't back that team. All right, this is the most heavily Vegas-backed team that there ever has been in my lifetime. Uh, you know, watching this team, and so you know, those expectations were legitimate. Everybody had them, and they came into this season and we pretty much, if you if you had the spectrum of results that you could have expected on this team, we're pretty close to one of the worst possible outcomes that we could have. Um, coming into this season and when when you have those types of expectations you know then uh you know it drastically affects the way people deal with the reality of what happens on sundays when things are going wrong and uh, that can create all kinds of irrational responses and uh and like i said like you can just have that on just how you expect your normal day going to work to go whatever you can have irrational responses based on the expectations that you had for the day and I think it's just, you know, and then you get on Twitter and then there's a, there's an echo chamber. There's plenty of people who are going to agree with you. You've got local media who are drumming up stuff for, uh, for a variety of reasons, not all of them to, you know, inform the public of truth and, you know, be, uh, be a reality check on things. And, uh, it can very quickly become a maelstrom of, um, of negative, uh, negative, feelings and they're looking for somewhere to point that cannon jake and sometimes it's at you buddy (laughs) (laughs) it's not it's and it's not even you're right first of all all of that is spot on and and it's not necessarily a a woe is me thing it's just a weird phenomenon i mean like seeing that it's 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 weirding me out and it's driven me away from social to to a large extent and i just like what's the point what's the what's the point anymore if this is what you know, and and it is it is a situation where a lot of people have they want to believe they want to believe, and if you don't believe the thing that they believe in, whether that's the election or whether that's uh, an opinion on a vaccine or whether that's an opinion on a quarterback for the Cleveland Browns, they're going to go after you. And you know, I, it's fine. It's it's just something that has driven me a little crazy of late. And I need to do better, though. Personally, I need to do better at ignoring the negative and focusing on there's a ton of people that do a lot of positive stuff. So uh, a lot of positive response conversation things that, that, you know, in your life, there's a phenomenon, right, about about 
focusing you could get 32 positive responses but you get one negative one and you focus on the wrong one you know out of the 33 so there's some of that too speaking of the positive you know before we head into this week because i don't usually get to discuss too much about the past week when it comes to the browns the uh you know can we at least talk for a couple of minutes about the positive that is uh jok on this team and uh, the difference that he made uh looking at this baltimore game you know, and dealing with Lamar and this team because that's a guy that makes me happy to watch the Browns, and there's not too many of those on this team right now. He's uh, it's hard to put into words. I would like to put some words on on uh, WordPress and write about him, but he's unique, and I don't know if it's if it's so unique because I'm not used to seeing that type of linebacker play. You know, John, where a guy is quite clearly faster than everybody else on the field. Um, I thought he could be good. Uh, I really did. Definitely wanted them to pick him. Would have had zero issue picking him in the first round where they picked Greg Newsom. I did have some concerns about making him a stri- strictly a linebacker just because of playing inside the tackle box and what that brings. Uh, but listen, nobody gets a hand on him. He is he. I said today, and I stand by it, he plays linebacker like a running back where – he, it was a good comp. He, yeah, he he will make people miss. He'll make offensive linemen miss him in the tackle box by doing in a wide variety dead legs, inside out moves, <laughs> swim like a like a little dip the shoulder and rip move. Like he'll do an assortment of things that keep linemen off of him. When he does have to take on a lineman, he actually handles it well, whether it's in pull blocking or whatever. And then we know how well he clicks and closes, which has even been faster than I thought it would be. Like when he reads, deciphers, and decides I'm all in on wherever this football I think is going, it's as somebody that does this side of it for a living like I do, it's breathtaking. Like he is a unicorn on the football field with that stuff. And the pass coverage and instincts are good enough that – you know, that part of it's just fine too. I had to look it up after the game. I was like, I think his, his pro football focus grades have to be really good. I think oh, I yes. tweeted about it. And then yeah, I don't I know, maybe, too. maybe Collinsworth tweeted about it too. Like I, I think after I, he's the highest graded rookie. Now, Micah Parsons is obviously on the inside track for obvious reasons to win rookie of the year because of the sack numbers and the pressure numbers. And I get that he's just a fuzz below. It's not very much below. JOK in terms of overall grade, but like what I see is I've adjusted what I even had as high expectations. I think he is an all pro linebacker. Not a, I think he would be a pro bowl linebacker right now if he had not missed a few games. I genuinely think he's the perfect modern linebacker who is, he's going to get an interception or a strip soon because I was talking about this with John Stephenson on the, on the chalk talk Tuesday. He is wonderfully in tune with I know my guy has him wrapped up I'm going to rip at this football like two hand get in there and rip at it he's going to cause a fumble soon and he's going to end up with an interception or two soon or scoop and score maybe Tony Grossi will remember his name at that point because he make an impact play <laughs> shout out to Tony met him a couple times nice guy to me some interesting takes here and there I don't think he means evil intent but sometimes those statements uh you know, come on, man. We got to watch this thing. We are all watching it together. This guy's pretty good. Um, yeah, he's he's really good. He, I knew he would be good in space. 
and he's been every bit of that. The inside the tackle box stuff, which makes him a guy like we saw yesterday, Sunday night where he can play 68 snaps in a game, never come off the field, whether it's base, nickel, or dime. That man is worth a lot of money because that dude is a, he's a, he's a difference maker at that position, and he's got personnel group uh, efficiency where he can play in all of them, and he can play inside and outside the tackle box, and that makes him – he's already better than I – anticipated and i had high expectations john yeah yeah and i was like fan bay you know fanboy level excited when this guy was drafted uh, you know i was posting you know make-believe uh defensive alignments with him as the as the mike and dime packages uh you know in april and those types of things i was extremely high on him i thought he i thought he was gonna not come off the field and i'm not sure if he hadn't um, he got covid right that was what uh, held him out of uh, a camp. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not. Sh- well, I don't know because Woods, Woods is weird with him. But um, you know, I thought the second that we drafted him that he was a guy that was going to start from day one and never come off the field. Um, and and he's still also better than I expected <laughs> uh, as a rookie. And um, you know, I mean, he, when you looked up his uh, like his relative athletic score. You know, as a linebacker, he was like a pretty close to a nine. Um, <clears throat> like, which is a ninety percentile athlete at that position. He was like a ninety six or something as a safety. You know, so you had all those the wars real quick on Twitter about arguing about whether he was a safety or linebacker. But you know, he had to prove himself to be able to, to play inside the tackles, like you said. And uh, I'm not sure, like, just a uh, yeah, I'm not sure I've seen a slippier. Uh, uh, Jesus, um, he's just so slippery, uh, is what I want to say, you know, like it's, it's just so hard to get your hands on him. And, you know, he's so fast that these, these linemen have to disengage because it's an instant hold, you know, that's, that's really what happens is that he just moves so quick that they cannot hang on because they know that it's just going to be a penalty instantly. And I think that's what uh, kind of contributes to his ability to to kind of shed the blocks when he does have to take them on. But yeah, so just want to point out the one bright spot, the one thing that really kind of makes me happy watching that game and having to stay up till midnight when I've got to work <laughs> and I've got crying kids and things like that. You know, that's the kind of player that makes it worth staying up for. So well, Grant Delpit played well too, and it's been a roller coaster for Grant. It's been more it more has. down than yeah. up, but he it's a, it's a rookie thing. You know, not all rookies come in and hit the ground running and he is a rookie and he's coming off a nasty injury. So that was good. They played 45 snaps for him, which means you saw a lot of Ronnie Harrison down in the box when they went dime, um, which is exciting to see that. I think Agreed. I, I would say this, and I said it Tuesday too, John, in, in that podcast, which is this is the Browns defense is best designed. You can clearly tell they designed it with Baltimore in mind because this was the best version of their personnel usage and performance and it just kind of like you could see okay this is a team that they built for baltimore this this personnel and it all looks right and i think when they play grant more snaps jok more snaps move ronnie closer to the line of scrimmage it's a it's a nice group it's a really nice group and they'll have some games where they won't be perfect uh, and maybe a little less new england than you know a few less of those than the contrary but you know, people have tried to argue about the defense left and right all season. And it's like, 
that's not the issue. They they have been down. A, you know, the Chargers game and the New England game happened. I get it. Arizona game happened. Get it. But that's three games, and they've been relatively solid outside of those three games. So, you, you know. Yeah, there's we, a part of me that, that is excited about uh, the future at safety um, with regards to, and I know this is a massive projection, but if LeCount is a true free mm-hmm. um, and you're able to play him and start him next year, what that allows uh, them to do with, you know, if Ronnie goes, you know, with John Johnson and uh, and Grant Delphit being able to to play exclusively up front uh, with it, you know, because we really just don't have that true free between those three. Yeah, we were um, talking about that on the draft show tonight, yeah. about how if you, you can have all those versatile players and it's fun to say they can all do some things, different things, but that typically means you don't have guys who are really good at an isolated thing. You know what I mean? And they don't, you're spot on, John, they don't have a free that they should feel comfortable playing cover three center fielding. They've been trying to let John Johnson do that. And that's like, that's a, that's a misuse of him, but I get it. If you don't feel comfortable with anyone else, then I get it. And we're looking at some guys in the draft that could be that late round, you know, mid to late round option as a means to try to fix that because maybe Ronnie Harrison isn't back. I think if you move him closer to the line, potentially could be back. But nonetheless, um, JOK, I just wish he didn't hurt that ankle week six because we would be even even higher up on where he's at right now, which is still still pretty dang good. You you sent me an interesting study recently. I don't know if you have it in front of you or not about uh, to, to sort of dial back to quarterback play and finish out there before we talk about the AFC North. Um the quarterback play is down across the league. It is it is not as as many guys thriving as we have seen, and I just I don't even know if I have a reason for that. I don't know. I really I don't. You know, maybe it's just a weird year. I think twenty seventeen was a similar year in that data study. But do you have an opinion on it, or is it just a weird year for quarterback play in general? Um, you know, there's part of me that would like to think that um, defenses are cracking back a little bit, finally, um, you know, where it's been kind of a free-for-all for the last few years of um, offensive explosion and, and those types of things. You know, we've got the uh, Fangio slash uh, Staley-type defenses that uh, have, have done decently this year. Um, the, you know, but I don't know, there's also... You know, the crowds being back in it this year after a year of silent stadiums. There's, you know, so I, it's pretty hard to, I think there's a lot of noise and I just don't know what it is. But we, you know, so I I might not be able to pinpoint why, but there's certainly a a clear downgrade. You know, another thing that you could point to is, um, you know, a little bit of a changing of the guard, you know, like some of the older guys are out, um, have retired, those types of things. So, you know, you could be looking at a short-term dip as some of the younger guys kind of get a little bit more uh, accustomed to taking the reins, and, and we'll figure out who, you know, the top two, three, four guys are going to be for the next decade. Uh, it could be some of that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, whatever the case, um, whether or not we can define it, uh, it, it is very clear that this is a down year uh, compared to the last three uh, previous seasons uh, when it comes to quarterback play league-wide and that comes to consistency and um, you know an overall EPA per play type stuff uh, but there's been uh, consistency issues seems like across the league you know where you know we've had guys that have you know played extremely well for short stretches and then 
at stinkers and um, not a lot of sustained success at the position at all, really, you know, through, you know, whatever we are, 12 weeks here. I think the crowd noise is really good point. I think too, I think more than, than ever before we're seeing defenses say, go ahead and run it. Beat us running the football. I think we'll play too high. We'll put yep. seven in coverage as often That's as we can, piece. and and we will say run it. Beat us that way, and you won't consistently run it. You know, you had to think how many times in the past five to six years have you heard people say, "Well, there's no correlation between play action and and run game success." You know, play action success being tied to run game being good. Eventually, defenses and players that play defense are going to figure that out too. They're going to stop biting on the run game as often. They're going to stop being so downhill at the second and third levels. I think it's a mixture of that too. I think yeah, the wide zone. The wide zone stuff has sort of been f- not figured out, but I think teams are playing it better. If you look at the at the at the big picture of Baker's year, they've run a little less bootleg stuff, but teams are playing the bootleg way better. I feel like they've been very prepared for the levels concepts that have come off of those boot throws. I have not seen a ton of guys running wide open. I have to think you've seen the Rams dip this recently. They've come oh, back brutal. down. To, they've come back down to earth. It's the same thing with San Francisco. So I don't think that the the play action stuff is as successful. You got to think if we're the idiots on Twitter who have these uh, arguments about it, and there've been smart people that do studies on it. Eventually defensive coordinators are going to philosophically change and say, Hey, okay, you just want to play action us. We're not going to take your run game serious. And we're not going to give you those schemed up open throws because we're not going to take it serious. And if you do want to run it, go ahead. Now teams will do that to the Browns where they'll take away the run game. Baltimore did that pretty much. But to me, it's like eventually defenses are going to shift their thought process and teach their guys to slow play the run game more than ever. And that, I think, could be a trend worth paying attention to in the long haul uh, as a means to understanding why, you know, if you have less guys in coverage, you're going to have more holes in coverage. If you have more guys in coverage, you're going to have less gaps in open players to throw to so adapt or die now we see what offenses and quarterbacks do to get better at it or what answers they come up with more screens um different sorts of uh you know manipulation concepts that can work against cover four you know if teams are playing more too high cover four cover six cover two then maybe we'll see an uptick there or maybe we'll just see teams start saying hey no one's valuing the run anymore maybe we'll just run for two thousand yards you know i don't know ebb and flow man it's all an ebb and flow but you can only go, in my opinion, you can only go so far. Eventually, defenses are going to stop honoring the run game. They're just Agreed. going to stop. And I think there has been more than ever daring teams to win this game by running it at us. We don't think we, you're willing to run the ball 40 times, so go ahead. Go and ahead. that harkens back to a conversation that you had with, uh, with I think, Jack and... Um, um, Anthony. Right Anthony, yeah. that's right. Yeah, earlier this year. So that, I think it's a little bit interesting in that. You know, I mean, it's... I'm not ready to, you know, to 100%, but I'm my ears are perked watching, um, and I, I think that's something we ought to be looking at and seeing whether that's uh, playing into what we're seeing on the field this year. Yeah, I don't even know how to study it. I, it would take somebody going through, combing through all the pro football-focused data. It would be someone on their back end looking at sure. has there been an uptick in percentage of too high across the league? Has there been some decrease in play action efficiency across the league? That's just where... That's the only place that I can think of that makes logical sense that this is what they're just not caring as much about. Because, I mean, I would be honest, this year I have seen less Browns players running open, and I don't think it's because 
the scheme has changed or anything, or Kevin's not as creative with play calls, I think teams are just covering it better. And I, I, I know for a fact the Rams are dealing with it too. And I, you know, I've seen the Buffalo Bills go for six point or three points in Jacksonville. Like, yeah, it's it's the, everywhere. The off-season studies are going to be very interesting this year. I think in that regard, definitely, because that's when they really get to dig into like the full season data and they start running through the numbers. They can do it a lot quicker than we can. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, with the database they have, so I'm going to be enjoying some of the the off-season studies that end up coming out from guys like Kevin Cole and uh, the PFF guys. Yeah, because if they're aware of the quarterback struggles right now, which I think it was, was it like last year there were seven quarterbacks over a 75 QBR or something like yeah, that? And this year yeah. there's only one, Kyler Murray, who's now been out yeah. for like a month anyway. Right, so, so where would he be? Exactly. You know, yeah, exactly. It's it's mm-hmm. weird, and there's got to be something behind that weird. And since they're on the forefront of pointing it out, I would imagine they'll get to some of the rationale behind it. Let's talk the FC North. It is Baltimore eight and three, seven and four, Cincinnati uh, five and five, Pittsburgh six and six, Cleveland. Um, I continue to think, and I, I tweeted it during that game that I think this is just a division that's not as good as we think it is. They're Agreed. all, uh, uh, you know, Cleveland and Pittsburgh are five hundred, and the Bengals are seven and four, and the Ravens are eight and three. That's cool. You could try to be like, oh, it's a tough division. I think it's a tough division, but I just think it's a battle of kind of average teams. You know, I just don't think there's really good. I don't think there's a Super Bowl contender in this division, and. No. Um, it sucks because if you look at all the teams games coming up, I'll remind everybody, Baltimore goes to Pittsburgh. They go to Cleveland. They host green Bay. They go to Cincinnati who whooped them the first time they host the Rams. And then they host the Steelers. I think they have the easiest path to finishing strong. Um, but again, I don't think Baltimore is very good. I really, I really don't. So who knows though? We'll get a be interesting to see how they play Pittsburgh this weekend. Um, coming off that, coming off that Cleveland game, because I just, I think Baltimore's just going to like, 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 literally, like, be back in and win this division by default. I just kind of think it's where it's headed. Cincinnati has uh, a tough finish. They have they host the Chargers, who are up and down, but they can come into Cincinnati and light it up. They host the 49ers, never easy. Go to Denver, never easy. They host Baltimore, host the Chiefs, go to Cleveland. It's not an easy finish. And then Pittsburgh, who I just hope finishes eight and nine just for the sake of where, where they draft because they are a massive pretender. They go to, they host the Ravens, visit Minnesota, host the Titans, travel to Kansas city, host Cleveland at Baltimore. That's a tough finish for Pittsburgh, probably the toughest of the three. So I don't know where this goes. My, my hunch is that Baltimore ends up winning it by a game over Cincinnati um, or Cleveland kind of hovers right there with Cincinnati. If Cleveland had, this is where you look at it because if Cleveland had won that game the other day and sat seven and five, Baltimore seven and four, it's it, even though Cleveland's finish is not is not easy. You can see where Cleveland could win one, two, three, four of their last five, and then you could say, okay, eleven and six, you have a great chance. But now you're even. It's very, very narrow. It's very narrow, and I'm a little worried about it. So I don't know where you sit on the rest of the the North, kind of as we have five games, six games worth of predictions left. But I think it's Baltimore's because of the some of the ease of that finish, which is not the easiest, but it's the easiest of the group. I think they probably get to eleven and six and win the division. Yeah, I don't have any arguments uh, about that breakdown with the AFC North. You know the. Um, what I will say is, you know, as a Browns fan, they've needed this bye week for a long time. And this is the last chance. This is the last stop for in-season change in terms of how they play as a team. 
um, you know, I don't have uh, a ton of hope. Like you said, the, uh, you know, the, the path is very narrow. Um, it's tough sledding. Uh, but uh, this bye week has always represented a, uh, a chance for them to regroup, for them to get healthy, for them to assess. You know how the, the NFL season is, uh, you know, week to week. You don't, you don't have time to, to truly change what you're doing to um, when, when things aren't going your way. You don't have the time to completely reassess uh, what your team does well and what it's not week to week. You really just don't. So um, it's it's rough having this this far back in the season, but if you're looking for some hope as a Browns fan, this this was your last stop here. So I'm, I'm hopeful that these guys use this time wisely, uh, you know. And I'll be looking very closely at this next game uh, as something where, you know, could they could they reel off some wins? And we're gonna find out real quick. We're gonna find out in two weeks. So, well, you know, really, uh, you know, 10 days. So <clears throat> we're going to find out then. But that's the little bit of hope here. You know, finally, these cho- these coaches get a chance, uh, especially offensively is really what I'm talking about. Offensively, they get a chance to regroup, to change some things, to do some things that they haven't had all season. So, um, yeah, I mean, I th- think you've uh, hit the nail on the head on the division. Uh, it's really kind of there for whoever gets hot from here out. You know, um, Baltimore obviously has the inside lane because of some wildly lucky situations and wins that they had early in the season. That's really what it comes down to. The only reason that they have this inside track, but they do have it. Uh, but any team that goes, you know, any team that gets hot here and wins out, if there is a team that's going to do that, whether it's Cincinnati, I'm not saying it's going to be the Browns, you know, uh, the team wins out, they'll win the division. Uh, outside of Pittsburgh, we're just gonna shove them in a corner. <laughs> but you know, uh, you know, out of Cleveland, Cincinnati, um, and the Ravens, any one of those teams wins out, uh, they'll probably win the division. So, uh, and and that happens. I mean, I used to watch it. You know, watch Green Bay growing up. They used to go uh, undefeated for the uh, you know in December, like every single year. You know, they would just get hot. Um, uh, not every single year. Obviously, there were some down years, but um, it happened quite often that they would just go on a streak to end the season and uh, and win the division and head into the playoffs. So uh, that could happen for Cincy. Um, you know, it could happen for anybody but Pittsburgh in this division. So we'll see. Got to win the bye week. I think you're spot on. How you win the bye week is never something you can quantify, but... You know, you look back at last year, the bye week when they came out of it and how much better they were. Now, I'm not saying yep. that's going to be the same this year. It's a late bye. If you watch the most recent building the Browns and Paul Podesta's like, this bye is so late in the year. It's almost like you don't even want it. You know, you needed to buy <laughs> three weeks ago because that's yeah. a good middle point. You know, the, the, the fear we had about the sky, the number one fear I had was the late bye week in yep. like essentially playing three straight months of football with no time off. You had a little extension when you played the Thursday night game, but man, the bye week at the end of the season essentially is really hard. And you add an extra game to the schedule. It's probably not talked enough about enough. I don't know how they come out of it. I hope they're able to do the self-scouting, the self-assessing, the, 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 the things, the miracles a bye week can provide. I don't know. Maybe they're too far gone. Maybe things have sailed this year. And you got a bunch of guys who are like disappointed in where they've been and just want to 
finish the year and start fresh next year. I don't know what that looks like. Um, but I am excited about the opportunity and that does give me some hope and they can win enough games. They can win five of the four, of the final five and be 10 and seven. And maybe that's enough to get in. It, it, it may be, I don't know. The AFC is weird. The playoff picture is still very murky. I don't know. I'm not telling anybody to give up hope. I do think that I have never seen a team that needs a bye week more. I wish they went into it with a little bit more positivity, but you know, you, you, you should feel okay about the people the Browns have, at least the, the example we had last year of how they could come out of it. So we'll see. I don't know, John. We'll see. Uh, this has gone about 40 minutes long, longer than I thought it might, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as we talked yeah. about a lot of things, but it's yeah. a weird buy. We'll talk with John again next week, where we'll probably include you, John, in a in a, in a first three, I guess, three quarters of the season. I'm looking at position by position, so I'll have you on Friday. We'll talk about that, and then we'll also talk about how on earth the Browns figure out how to beat Baltimore, as we always do on Friday. I appreciate your time, man, as usual, friendship, all that stuff, brother. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jake. Hey, let's enjoy this week off. We all need it. We all need it, guys. <laughs> Take a break from your, your 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 usual weekend grind of of being upset online, and uh, maybe the weather is decent. Maybe you can get outside. Maybe you can do something, or just enjoy your time with family. Um, I will have a draft show that will be on tomorrow's podcast feed, so check that out. And um, like I said, take some time time away from the Browns for a little bit if you are passionate about them. Step back and. Have a good relaxing weekend. Watch some other teams play football. Hopefully you enjoyed this Thursday night game. I don't even know what the score is at this point. Probably doesn't even matter. It's probably ugly, as all Thursday night games are ugly. Um, But, yeah, enjoy it. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks for tuning in all week. If you missed yesterday's uh, interview with Fred Greetham where we talked about Andrew Barry's press conference, go check that one out. It's a quick hitter, not very long at all. Thanks again to John for joining today's show. Thanks to you guys for showing the OBR support as you do on Twitch, the website, and this podcast. Appreciate you all very much. Have a great, great Friday. And as usual, go Browns. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So... At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable. It's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal.